Thank you for joining us as we gather together to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, we're, yeah, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna have some fun today because I haven't preached in like over two weeks and so I got a little bit too much energy. Yeah, we just concluded this series that we had been doing for nine weeks called Live by the Spirit as we were walking through specifically what we mean when we say that we wanna grow to look more like Jesus. So we walked through the fruit of the Spirit, the holistic fruit of the Spirit. There is love, there is joy, there is peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. We heard from our very own Ruth Zilka and Stephen and Aaron Cheney, Janet Haskell, Mike and Karen Miller, Barbara Simmons, and last week, I wanna give God praise for Daniel Delwood's message as we concluded this series. On goodness. So now I have to teach. Dang. <laughs> Today it might actually feel like we're still in that series, but this is what we call a one-off. And as a one-off, we, we were kind of going through a couple of different series. The In the middle is an opportunity for us to teach on something. And usually when I teach and it's a one-off, it's going to be probably on some type of theological thing. It's gonna have something to do with what's going on within the church. It's kind of the free space and bingo. And so today, we're gonna to talk about some things that have some pretty large theological understanding of God implications. So what I'm about to say seems like it has nothing to do with the, that what I just said, but here's the thing. I used to get grounded a lot. Anybody? Yeah, me and Scott, all right. <laughs> used to get grounded a lot. Like how many, and this is gonna make me feel bad, how many of you remember 1990? Okay, me, Aaron, mine, oh, praise God. Woo, 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 woo. All right, um, I was grounded for that year. So that year, I was grounded. I was, in gra I was grounded the entire year. No TV, no playing with friends unless it was recess at school, no video games. It was just me, books, and the radio. You guys know what the radio is? Back in the day, young people, we used to have to listen to the radio, not Spotify, not Apple Music, not podcasts. No, we listened to the AM and the FM radio. And if we wanted a song, we either recorded it on our boombox when it was on the radio, or we bought a single, or we bought an album. Anybody? Woo, that was good times. And the sound quality was awesome. Anyway, I loved early 90s music. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Loved early 90s music. One of the bands I adored was R.E.M. Not REM, not Rapid Eye Movement, R.E.M., Michael Snipes and his crew. And there was a song they had called Losing My Religion. Love this song. That song takes me back to the fond memories of waiting for it to come on to the top 40 Rick D's radio thing on Sunday. I was a pagan, didn't go to church, and I would listen to the different songs that were going to be played, and I was waiting for the specific song I wanted so I could press record on the cassette deck. This was good times. Some of you were like, whatever, dude, we, we had records and eight tracks. Yeah, well, I grew up in the 80s, so we had cassettes, okay? So just get over it. But here's the thing, the idea of losing one's religion, losing my religion, it was a really good song. The title was really profound, but in a world that hears that, they probably think that losing one's religion means that you stop believing in God. But here's the thing, losing your religion is a good thing. Religion 
in and of itself is not a personal and Holy Spirit-led relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is a working relationship that is punitive. And it assumes that if you do enough stuff right, God will give you heaven. He will let you enter into the pearly gates. He will give you prosperity and all else that you want lest you become a spoiled brat like a genie in a bottle rather than the alpha and omega of the Bible. So I hope today as a congregation, we can see that we should lose our religion, but we can never lose our relationship or our salvation that comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So with that, we're gonna be in Romans chapter five, and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read a little, talk a little, read a little, and worship, all right? So Romans chapter five, verse one, here's what it says. Therefore, uh, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the largest misconceptions in the Christian faith is that one can lose their salvation, or I guess another way we would say it is that one could lose their faith. But before we even start to dive into that theological landmine, we probably need to tackle an even larger misconception, that one can do enough good to become a Christian. See, this is what we know as work salvation or work for your salvation to earn your right standing, your justification before God. So what do we say when we see therefore there? We ask, what is the therefore therefore? And before this chapter of chapter five of Romans five, in chapter four, Paul is addressing the church in Rome and he's explaining to them and he's talking about Abraham, the father of our faith, what Abraham went through, where he believed God even when the odds were against him. He believed God when God told him he'd have more descendants than there was sand on the seashore, even though he and his wife Sarah were far past childbearing age, far past And that's where we pick up in chapter four. It says this, in chapter four, verse 20, it says, yet he, Abraham, did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Here's what I want you to remember. Verse 21, underline it, your Bible or our Bible, don't care. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us whom God will credit, he will give righteousness to. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So here's a question I want you to wrestle with. I want you to think through this, not just now, but I'm gonna ask it again later. Are you fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised to do? I wonder if we would wrestle with this today, church. Because as a pastor, but more specifically, the pastor of this church, not the building, but the people. It's not the steeple, it's the people. Y'all with me? But as the pastor of the church, I want to ask, do we believe God? Do we believe him at his word? Do do we believe his promises? Do we know his word? 
Have we been born again by the Spirit of God through grace alone by repenting of our sin and placing our faith and trust fully in Jesus alone? Verse one, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So why is it so important that we're on the same page when it comes to this church? Because as God's church, we are people who are no longer at war with God. Now, here's the thing. Attending the church doesn't mean you're a part of the church because that would be works-based salvation. But are you included in Christ? Have you repented? Do you know that if you have, you have peace with God? Not just a truce, not just, oh, he's not gonna, but we are then adopted into the family of God's through justification by faith. Now, once we're truly in his family, we do not lose our citizenship. We do not get stripped of our family crest. We cannot lose our adoption, justification, or salvation. Because when it comes to salvation, if you didn't qualify for it, you can't be disqualified from it. But let me explain the tension. Because even as I say that, I can hear the arguments in your head. Yeah, weird, right? Like I can hear it. You may be thinking, what about so-and-so? I was at his baptism and it didn't seem to stick. It's like the water didn't get all the sin off him, right? What about Gina? Dang, Gina. She attended the church for years. She sang in the choir and now she's living with her boyfriend and you know they ain't being holy. That's, That's how my narrative in my mind goes, just so you know. I know the realities. I know how so many people claim Christ, but their actions don't actually prove that what they claim is true, me included. But I also know the word of God. And I do know at the end of the day, there are a lot of posers inside the church. And ironically, there are a lot of posers outside the church as well. People that claim they have a relationship with God, but they really think that Christ is Jesus's last name. See, Christ is not his last name, it is his title. And far too many people do not bow down to Christ, but instead they wink at their own sin and compare themselves to a barnacle Christian stereotype that makes them feel better about themselves. See, if you're gonna compare yourself, compare yourself to Jesus and then repent. Because every time you look at him, every time you look at Jesus, you know that you do not measure up to him, but that isn't to make you feel bad, that's to make you understand that you need him. Repentance through faith in Jesus Christ is the only way peace with God is established. It's the only way. But I've believed, cool, so does Satan. But have you repented? Have you changed direction? Have you said, no, not my way, God, but your way? because you and I cannot and we will not earn our salvation based on what we do, but have we actually submitted our hearts to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Verse two, through whom, underline whom, if you're underlining in your Bible, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. It says through whom, not through what, not through what we do or how disciplined or perfect or purposeful or theologically correct or punctual or liked or revered or funny or nice, but through 
whom. And that whom, spoiler alert, is Jesus. Identity is something we cannot get away from when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to the Christian faith. And your identity, once you come to Christ, is no longer in what you do, but whose you are. That, I said amen when I wrote that, guys. Like, that's true. We find our identity in whose we are. So if you are Jesus's, it's because of grace gifted to you through him not by what you do. And we have gained access by faith. This word access is important. This word access is only used two other places in all of scripture, and it's used by Paul in the book of Ephesians. And for what a Jew in the Old Testament could not fathom, we as followers of Christ, because of Christ and through Christ, have access to God, which is permanent and secure. The New Testament word here for hope means certain, but yet unrealized. That's what hope means. It means certain, it's for sure, but it is yet to be realized. It is yet unrealized. Meaning it is for sure to happen, but it has not yet happened. So because it is certain that our hope will come to fruition, we as Christians live as if it will. Now we're gonna talk about the glory of God. And the glory of God can be seen in a lot of different ways, and some people see it just as an attribute. Some people refer to it as God's presence. But the text says that we boast in the hope of the glory of God, and the glory of God tends to be taught differently by different teachers. And I'm gonna use a term that makes sense to me, but some of you lit and English majors are gonna wanna light me up. Feel free to email Mike about that. I don't care, all right? To boast in the glory of God means to make much of God's godness, his bigness, his weightiness. It means that we get to show off that God is God and we are not. Verse three, not only so, Paul says, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. We glory, we reflect God's holiness. We show off and bring attention to God's godness, even in suffering, because it produces something. It produces perseverance. Anyone go to the gym ever? One time, right? No, 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 I've been. It's like a muscle being worked out on in the weight room. The muscle is being broken down so it can get stronger, so it can withstand more pressure and weight. And our lives are similar. As suffering and trials get packed onto us, they produce something in us that makes us be able to handle more pressure, be able to handle more things to be stronger in the Lord. Months back during our takeaways, which we tend to do at the end of the service, and one of the reasons we do takeaways is just so people can process out loud what they've heard and so we can have a conversation. A lot of times what you may share as your takeaway might be someone else's takeaway. They might have missed everything I've said, but they may take something that you said, and we want to give people the opportunity to share that. And a few months back, Larry McNally, a a longtime member of this church, he shared a takeaway that was so profound. 
Here's what he said. We were talking about struggles and trials, and here's what he said. He said, I need to praise God for the fact that God deems me worthy of growth, evidenced by the fact that he gives me trials to go through. What a godly perspective. What a different perspective than the the religious. Oh God, why are you letting me go through bad things? You must be mad at me. No. Why does he let us go through bad things? One, because we live in a world full of sin. And two, because he can redeem it by growing us to look more like him. See, boiling water softens a potato. You guys know that, right? Anyone? No? Okay, that's cool. Boiling water softens a potato, but it also hardens an egg. Weird, right? And so based on that, it's not necessarily about the circumstances. It's about what's inside. And usually I personally hate cliche sayings like that one, if I'm honest. But it brings up a good point. See, trials are opportunities for growth. But they are also ways that weed out those who have the Spirit of God and those who don't. Uh Uh-oh, he's getting negative. Yeah, I haven't preached in a while. This may hurt a bit, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. In a spiritual sense, when the the going gets tough, the tough or the Spirit-filled get going. Or when trials come, those with the Spirit of God grow through said trials. What's the negative way of saying this? That when trials come, those without the Spirit inside of them run from God rather than to him. R.C. Sproul, the great theologian, passed away not too long ago. He said it this way. Paul is saying that if God is in control, then the most bitter human experiences we are called upon to endure which includes death, disease, the loss of loved ones, war, terror, all of these things that we dread in the depths of our beings become not only tolerable, but we can actually glory in them because we know that God has promised to redeem every pain that we experience. Do you believe that God has the power to do what he promised to do? So suffering and the fruit that comes from it is not Punitive. It's not paying you back for doing something wrong. It's not punitive repercussions for our sin, but it is evidence of God's working through those who are his. And when the spirit of God is inside of you, if you like it or not, you're his. Verse four, perseverance. It leads to something. It leads to character and character to hope. We see that trials, we see difficulties, tribulations produce perseverance for those who are included in Christ and have been justified by faith. Those who have repented, changed direction, stop saying, I'm gonna continue to sin, God, because you just give me grace, but I'm gonna stop sinning because you are worthy of my devotion. But that perseverance, it leads to something. It leads to character. Or in other translations of the Bible, non-NIV, it says, tested character. See, you can't claim you have good character. Hey guys, I have a great character. No, doesn't work that way. It is evidenced through time. People may believe you if you say something narcissistic and stupid like that, but they will not know unless there is evidence of testing. 
So character in a more literal sense means proof. So what it means. And our tested character, look at me, our tested character is our best apologetic. Well, I just wanna lead people to Christ. Great, have strong character. Start there. Because we give too many people excuses to not hear our message because of the way we live our lives. Ooh, that should hurt. But here's what I mean. Character is about evidence. An apologetic means a answer or a defense, one that is backed up with evidence. And it is our character produced over time through trials, which lead to perseverance, perseverance, which lead and lead to our reactions changing our perspective changing, and ultimately our constitution or the sum total of who we are because of whose we are in Christ. With that point, I have the honor of introducing you to someone that you may already know. He tends to read scripture here, generally first service, but I wanna introduce a young man to you who I've seen trials produce perseverance in him. I've seen a character that has been tested continually and will continue to be tested, but it is refining him to look more and more like Jesus. So with that, I'd like to introduce to you our youth director, Scott Rudolph. Would you guys welcome him? Just kidding. Good morning. Um, Tim had asked me to share a little bit about my story um, and little bit about perseverance and then also something that's going on in my life currently. Like he said, my name's Scott. I'm the youth director here at Church of the Valley. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, super churched, uh, Christian uh, school for 10 years, and something happened at the end of that. Uh, I, I actually got into some trouble in my eighth grade year, and I got expelled. Um, that was the first time that I had really felt like a failure. At 14 years old, I was I was in the realm of failure, and it hurt. Um, and so I, I head off to high school, public, public high school, um, Pioneer High School, and I was just kind of rolling with the rough crowd. Um, I, I kind of thought I was this bad guy after that. I, I had this stigma on, on myself, and I liked hanging out with the worse crowd than me, so I kind of looked like a good guy in contrast to that. So I was, I was comfortable there. My family during this time and, and throughout college, I, I'd, we'd endured a lot of death and, and mental illness, um, suicide attempts and succession. And I'm going through high school and there's just, I'm going to Young Life and, and reading the word and, and kind of putting on the show, but I'm doing what I want in the evening and on the weekends. And I'd party and I, I, I was living an impure lifestyle. So... After I, I uh, get to about my junior, senior year, I, baseball's been a big part of my life up, up, up until this time, and then I started to get a little better. I had pretty heavy fastball. Um, 30% of the time, I knew where it was going. The other, not so much, but it was coming in hot. Um, and got the chance to play at community college. My grades weren't, weren't too, too solid, and I started to get really good uh, by the time I was a sophomore at West Valley College got a scholarship offer to go play at a small school in Iowa, Oskaloosa to be exact, and I, I got there and, and I'm just struggling. I had a couple deaths in my family. My mom was, was uh, going through a lot, to say the least, 
Um, so I came back. I came back and I finished up my undergraduate studies at San Jose State University. Uh, Com studies. Oh. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty much the joke for athletic counseling is that comm studies is the athlete's degree because you have all these PE units and all these comm units that are super easy. And then they're like, hey, I think we could probably get you to graduate. So woohoo, I'm the first one in my family to graduate. My mom's excited. Her son balled out in the classroom, sort of. Um, so I'm still living this life where, where I have these two worlds going on. Um, and, and now I'm... I'm, I'm living an even ungodlier life, I'd say, at this point. I'm reading the Word on my own, but not really applying it. And finally, I, I, I start to repent of some of these sins. I, I, God's really calling me to give up um, uh, this impure lifestyle. Um, women were, were a uh, challenge for me. Um, and that was something that I really needed to give up to God. So in that time, I'm going to a college group, and I meet my lovely bride, who's helping out in children's ministry right now, and uh, we really hit it off. Coincidentally, we were listening to Tim preach um, on, on one of those afternoons, and we met up and kind of talked a little bit. We went and had coffee at Pete's, because it's holier than Starbucks, as he would say, and we, he's been discipling me ever since, a couple years now. Um, and one special thing about Tim was that he actually led my wife to the Lord, and he baptized her, so that was an awesome, praise God for using Tim in that, in that area. Um, so Tim's pouring into me, and he's differently pouring into me. I had other mentors in my life, coaches, um, people that liked me and, and wanted to help me grow in some kind of capacity, but Tim kept me accountable. Uh, he mentored me, yeah, he gave me advice sometimes, but he was opening up the word and just teaching me what it said. But he was teaching me the word as in a way that, that there was going to be a test afterward. And I know he kind of jokes about that. There will be a test. Take notes, right? But he was teaching me in a way that he was equipping me so that I could reteach that and pour that back out. And so I start discipling a, a couple dudes in the church, Gabriel Wills being one of them, um, for a couple years now. And I just really started to see my life change and grow wasn't perfect, and I was repenting in these areas, but I was growing, and I was hearing the word and applying it to my life. Uh, Tim came to me a couple months ago, four months ago, five months ago, and he had said to me that, hey, we're looking for a youth director, and you're one of the four guys that, that I'm picturing potentially would, would, would do well in this position. I'm like, uh, no, I am a teacher currently. I'm a special ed teacher at at Pioneer, I'm tenured. Um, I, I passed all the silly tests and the hula hoops. I jumped through all of them. And I have my health insurance. I have my wife, everything. I have my little chihuahua. She's beautiful. Her name is Elsa. She's not beautiful. She has like two teeth. Um, so I'm sitting there. I tell Tim, I'm like, dude, come on. I, you know this is not where I'm at right now. I just spent $27,000 on a teaching credential, and I'm not ready to just give that up and plunge into ministry. But I agreed that I would pray about it, and I'd dig through some scripture, and then we'd talk. We'd talk again, so we stayed in touch, and God just kept putting this particular scripture on my heart. Um, the parable of the talents. Um, essentially, what, what happened there was there was a, uh, a master, and he had these servants, right? And I, I would imagine that this master had some coin, right? These talents are coin. 
Um, I would imagine that he had enough coin that the coin that he was giving to his servants probably didn't dent too much in his savings account, right? And so he's giving this coin to these three particular servants, and one of the servants, two of the servants actually, invest it properly and appropriately and grow that for the kingdom, essentially, in this, in this parable. And his, his response to his servant was beautiful. It says in Matthew 25, 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And that just kept coming up, kept coming up. And I'm thinking about it, I'm like, could this possibly be the trajectory that God has for my life? I'm like, okay, I got the special ed teaching thing. I'm coaching baseball. I'm around youth. He's put me in charge of a little bit, right? But could this possibly be a high responsibility, something that he might have in store for me, being faithful with that little bit? And so over prayer with my wife, and talking with Tim about it, reading some scripture, I decided to plunge in, and now I'm doing teaching at Pioneer High School and doing the youth pastor thing, um, youth director thing, and he's just really been growing me through that pour out, that test that I was explaining to you guys, right? Discipling others, investing in them. I had a student at uh, um, the previous school I was at, is he was the question guy. We'd be going through U.S. history, be like, hey, he asked some good questions. He said, hey, how did the, how did the Cold War, like, start like what actually like happened special ed student I'm like oh geez oh gosh I gotta probably read the book you know let me get back to you really quick right I didn't pay attention in U.S. history like when I was in high school so I had to relearn this stuff because I was responsible to reteach it right and what I started to see after just a couple months of ministry it's hard it's hard work it's not just putting on a little sermon it's not just uh, saying some good positive things right making people feel good there's pastoring to that. You got to be around. You got to be available, right? When people need you, you got to step up. You don't work on that same nine to five time clock, right? You got to be there. Um, on that note, uh, something very difficult uh, happened um, this past week. Um, my, uh, my good buddy, uh, longtime um, ex-Marine, uh, he, he took his own life on, on Monday, uh, late Monday night. And uh, um, I wasn't expecting it all the way. Um, and so when I was given that news by a couple buddies that are SJPD, they were calling me off the hook that night. They knew that I, I was friends with him. And I was just battling these reactive feelings, these reactive feelings. I, I felt frustrated I felt confused. I felt angry, man. I was mad. I had some rage. I'm not going to lie to you. I was sad. And I, I don't know what the rules are on Sundays and teaching. I felt doubt. I doubt. Right? What good could possibly come from this? He was abused as a child. Ex-Marine de- dealing with PTSD and bipolar syndrome. And then and that's it. And I'm faced with this doubt and this just confusion and anger. I had a human reaction to my buddy's death, but it was followed by a godly intervention. He pointed me back to a few promises that were individual to me. And that's where I really felt God just holding me. 
She's like, this, Scott, this is true for you. And I, man, I read the Bible. Yeah, it's good. I, yeah, I believe in that, right? But this is true for me. And I can sink into these truths. And I want to share four of those truths with you. But keep in mind, these are things that are chalked up in my mind and in my heart. I am fully convinced that this is true. Number one, he'll always love me unconditionally. I couldn't do anything more so that he would love me more. I couldn't screw up so bad that he would love me less. He's got me. He loves me unconditionally. If you have time, write, write down Romans 38, 38 through 39. Write down these, these references because these were God-breathed scripture for me. And I hope that maybe you could find some comfort in them as well. Uh, number two, I'm going home to, want, to heaven one day. Suffering is temporary. Oh, man. This life sucks sometimes. A lot of the times, right? Isn't it nice to know that this is not where we're ending? We're going home someday, right? And the suffering is going to be gone. Number three, God made me with and for a purpose. He made me with and for a purpose. He was knitting me together in my mother's womb before the dawn of creation. He was like, Scott, I have a plan for you. I'm going to make you this way. Your hair is going to fall out a little bit at 28, but you are perfectly made. And he had a game plan. There were no mistakes. He had a plan. He made me. And he had works predestined for me to get to. Man, that just, wow, I felt like a real personal connection to this God. And number four, Christ will always be the source of my strength. In this time, I, I took the lead. I'm actually leading the memorial um, uh, for, for my buddy uh, tonight over at the Pioneer High School baseball field. And I'm going to share a little bit about how I reacted to this and, and, and God's perseverance working through me. And I'm just going to testify to what, what God has shown me and done in my life. I don't know where you're at. I don't know your heart, and I won't know your heart. But what I do know is what God has done in my life. And I'd like to share that to you and then these folk tonight. But I, I've been getting the response that, oh, Scott, you're putting on this memorial. You're such a good guy. Oh, thank the Lord for Scott. Scott, you are so great. And that... that it doesn't sit well because I suck. And for somebody to praise me for that, it's like all oh, the power to Jesus, man. It's anything that you see that's doing well or speaking out, that is Jesus. And if you want to hear me, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be good. And so we get to this idea of, of, of perseverance. And perseverance, the way I look at it, it's, it's implied that you're being tested, as Tim would say. Right? We're being tested. For a purpose. It's not like this. I, this is the common misconception, I think, for non-believers and maybe some. Is that God just dumped us all in a fishbowl and he's watching us kind of suffer, right? And just seeing how it kind of works out like some kind of science experiment. I don't know. Anybody ever conceptualized that? Am I the weird one? Right? Perseverance, though, the, the definition that we boiled down to here is when it's easier to give up in a human sense and God intervenes. God intervened in this circumstance by giving me scripture that solidified these promises for me. It was personal. That's what I've been sitting in the church my whole life. Every Sunday, right? And, and, and we have these truths. We have this scripture, but this was for me. 
God wanted me to know these promises. He saw a need and he stepped in. Hallelujah. Uh, one of my favorite college baseball coaches, his name was Augie Garrido. If anybody's a college baseball fan, you would know Augie. Um, he was the, the head coach for the University of Texas Longhorns. Um, scary guy, scary, scary coach. And he was a tester, man. He would test people's uh, players and umpires included, as you can see here, right? He would test them. In practice, I read a lot about Augie as a coach. I wanted to kind of see what he did with his players because a lot of the players were like, dude, he is crazy. Augie just passed away in March. I'm at 79, I want to say. He's coaching, I think, all the way through then. But he would put his players in these simulated situations that would literally make most guys break physically and mentally. People would literally break their arm or leg in practice. And Augie would be like, oh, that sucks. All right, next guy, right? Let's go. And so you could guarantee that on that first game day, right, in the spring for the University of Texas Longhorns, those were his dogs, right? That was his crew that he was rolling with. He's like, yeah, these, these guys have that character that I'm looking for. They got that UT character. He had a quote that I just, my college coach used to say all the time, baseball does not build character, it reveals character. Living in this broken world with all these trials, man, that really reveals my need for a savior and my broken character, right? And what's the reason behind all this? I'm trying to make some kind of sense. I have these trials. I have these promises. I have this perseverance, this grown character. Why? Why? Well, similar to what Larry said, God loves me enough to put me through trials that will allow me to grow. I'm being trained to look more like Jesus. And, and the reality, this is the reality, it will hurt. My wife kept saying it this week. She's like, Scott, I'm like, I don't really want to do all this. And she's like, it's going to hurt, Scott. You're being stretched. You're being grown. It will hurt to grow. And that suffering piece, we suffer with Jesus to know him better. Right? He, 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 suffered, he hung on a cross. He knows suffering. He has this character, Jesus does, right? And he wants us to know his character a little bit better. Wow, how crazy to be suffering and get to know our God a little better through our present suffering. But the best part is our God didn't stay dead. <laughs> That's the, the beauty of this, right, is, is God didn't stay in a grave here. If he did, I'd commit suicide, man. That's a martyr. My God's not a martyr. My God is alive, as Tim would say, right? The closing little question I want to leave you guys with today, and this one might sting. Maybe this isn't like a discussion question. Maybe this is a self-reflective question. When things get really tough, really tough, I don't want to say it a third time, really, but I will really tough. Whatever that looks like for you, where do you run to? Do you go somewhere online? Who do you run to? Do you go to a particular person? Or what do you run to? Is it a particular substance? Something else? So when things really get tough, where, who, or what do you run to? Thanks for listening, guys.
Thank you, Scott. Thanks for, it's been a more difficult week than you could have ever expected. And thanks for teaching our community and sharing what's not easy to share. Romans chapter five, verse five, as we conclude this passage, Paul continues after he's talked about perseverance, which leads to character, which leads to hope. And he says, hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given, gifted to us. Our hope in what is to come does not put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint us. It doesn't embarrass us because it's actually true. It is not in vain. It is not placebo or without an amazing reward to look forward to. So as I asked earlier, are you fully persuaded? that God has the power to do what he has promised to do. Because if you are, you are utterly convinced that this hope that you have is coming. It is to be looked forward to. It is to be lived into now because God has poured out his love upon us, confirmed and sealed by the Holy Spirit who resides in us and dominates us if if we have repented. Here's the thing, so we've been talking about losing your religion, which is a good thing. You can't lose your salvation. If you could lose your salvation, you would. Think about that for a second. If it was based on you, you'd lose it every time. But either Jesus' perfect life, his death, and his resurrection was sufficient for your justification, or it wasn't. So is that enough? Or are you doing it in your own strength? So don't act as if you could lose it. Act as if you're grateful that it was gifted to you in the first place. Verse six, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You wanna know who the ungodly is? You ready? It's us. If we don't emphasize the problem, church, people will just assume that their actions are the solution. And I love you enough to tell you this, you don't measure up to Jesus. So Jesus died, he rose again. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. Stand perfectly innocent before the Father. He did that and you receive it if you trust Christ. We are at peace. We are in relationship with God through the work of the Son, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So while we were powerless and brought nothing to the table, God, because of his perfection, not ours, got what we deserved, which was death, and we received what he deserved, which was right standing before the Father. Verse seven. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. This verse is kind of argued, kind of doesn't really make a ton of sense unless you keep reading. And Paul uses this example, which theologians and commentators like to argue about because they want to emphasize words. Well, what he meant was, or they have these theories, but here it is. People may be willing to put their lives on the line for someone else who is good or in a worldly sense, important. Think secret service. But it's rare. Verse eight, 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's one thing to put your life on the line for someone who's good or important. It's another thing to put your life on the line for people that definitely don't deserve it, and it's obvious. But Christ did. He put his life up for the ransom that was required from a holy and perfect God because our sin leads to death. And he did. You know why? He died for you. He died for me. He died for us. And he became the satisfaction for the wrath that God has for sin so that we could stand righteous before God. So God demonstrates this. God proves this. God has evidenced this proof. How? Because we know that while we were still sinners, Christ died in our place. We know that he traded his life for ours. And if we are included in Christ, those who are sealed with the Holy Spirit, we know that he died in the place of us sinners, which based on firsthand information, that I, because I know my heart and I don't know yours, I'm the chief of all sinners in this room. But based on what you know about your own heart, so are you. But the story doesn't end there. Worship team, would you come up? The story doesn't end there. This past week, Monday was a pretty crazy Monday. I I got the text from Scott about his friend. I was doing a Bible study with some men. And then I get a text from Malik. Sorry, bro, didn't tell you I was gonna talk about you. You guys know Malik, one of our worship leaders, gifted young man, loves the Lord. He goes to San Jose State. And he texts me and he goes, how often do people talk about the resurrection? I said, almost never. In churches? Yeah, almost never, except Easter. And he said, well, there were these girls that were on campus and they were sharing their faith and Malik connected with them and he, he thought they were believers, so he wanted to go talk to them and he was talking to them and he was like, hey, what are you sharing? And they were like, well, God loves you. And he died on a cross for you. Malik's like, yeah. What else? What about the resurrection? Yeah, we believe that. (sighs) On Tuesday night, I was with my family and we were doing, uh, just talking as a family over dinner and we were praying together and reading the Jesus Storybook Bible and talking our takeaways. So it's not just the church I make do that, I make my family do that. We were talking about takeaways and as some of my daughters were praying, they were like, God, thank you for dying in my place. Oh, that's good, amen. But the story doesn't end there, church. We must not forget as God's church that Jesus is alive. So it's because of Jesus' proof, his evidence, his character, which has been tried and is true, that we know that our future hope is certain, even though not yet realized. So, church, let's party. That's my application for you. Let's party. Because our hope is not wishful thinking or placebo faith, but it is a power that is proven because Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. So we're going to respond. We're going to respond in worship. We're going to respond by praising our God because we understand that these trials produce something in us. 
We're gonna understand that the trials produce something and we believe that promise because he's alive. 